Welcome to another episode of In Reserve, the Prosperity Podcast, where we focus on all things to do with the Reserve Protocol stablecoin. My name is Michael, and I'll be your host. Are you ready? Let's get started. First, a word from our sponsors, Recursive and Joe and Kit. Recursive connects applications so your critical data is available exactly where you need it. They can sync any apps in the cloud or hosted on your site, making your data more useful and visible to your teams. Visit recursive.com for more details. That's R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com, recursive, data where you want it. Mention the podcast or RSR for 20% off your subscription. Also, if you're an entrepreneur or small business looking to outsource your bookkeeping or need help understanding your financial situation, Joe and Kit has just the solution for you. They provide a wide range of services from bookkeeping to tax advice for businesses and crypto to financial analysis to implementing business operating systems such as EOS and Lean Six Sigma. Visit joeandkit.com today, J-O-E-A-N-D-K-I-T.com and mention the podcast for your first month free. On this episode of the podcast, we've got a great contributing member of the reserve community, someone who has taken the time out to educate and inform the masses, as well as innovate around the project, being the founder and creator of the Reserve Dollar NFT, Crypto Rick. Welcome and thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Hi, Michael. Thanks a lot for having me. Perfect. Uh, Just a little briefer on what this podcast is about for those of you guys who are new here. I started this in hopes of building community as well as kind of helping people and myself learn and understand the project more. And and I felt like a part of community building was uh, to get to know some of the bigger members of the reserve space, uh, some of the bigger contributors, um, and getting to know them a bit outside of crypto so that you're able to relate to them a bit more. Um, So with that in mind, I think a great starting point would be getting to know uh, Crypto Rick or you better. Uh, If you'd like to give the listeners just a super quick introduction about yourself for those who don't already know you, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, I'm currently living in Barbados. I've decided to take the opportunity through COVID to come out here and enjoy the good weather. Normally, I live in the UK, in London, and uh, I actually happen to work in California. So I do a lot of traveling back and forth, uh, which is great. I really enjoy it, Um, but it can get a bit tiring sometimes, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, My job, basically, I'm a space scientist and I work on NASA projects usually, but it can be anything really. And currently, I'm working on a project where we're designing an instrument that looks for life in the solar system, which is pretty fun. Uh, During my PhD, I was working on another NASA project. We were designing an orbital debris detector for the International Space Station, which was super cool. And that got launched a few years ago, which was, you know, a a proud moment for me. I guess so a little bit more about me uh you know in my spare time um i enjoy traveling i try and do a new country every year if possible that's been a little bit more challenging in recent months um i play playstation and i enjoy apex and of course i have a lot of side projects which includes cryptocurrencies and the reserve dollar nft stuff like that yeah, that's uh, that's that's quite the intro and a lot a lot to go into there. Holy smokes! Um, okay, so so let's start off by uh, you're currently in Barbados. Um, uh, how's the weather there? What is what is it like? I've never been to Barbados myself. Uh, how is it there? It's great. Uh, in one word, the ironically, it's supposed to be the dry season now, 
um, and it's rained, I would say, 80% of the day since I've been here, which is kind of crazy. I think we've had a bit of a late wet season, so all the kind of hurricanes that have been hitting, I think Columbia and maybe maybe Florida a few weeks ago, we kind of get the, the tail end of all that poor weather. So, yeah, it hasn't quite been as I expected. But So yeah. are you getting like <laughs> extreme extreme winds and, and hurricanes and typhoons, or is it just a, a torrential downpour? Uh, mainly just a torrential downpour, uh, right. no real wind, kind of comes out of nowhere. And then the good thing is that there is still sun in between. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to make the listeners in the coals feel a little bit better about my situation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, it's still good fun. <laughs> are you, are you currently there for work? Or are you just kind of enjoying yourself? Um, cause you do say that you reside in London. Um, but, but you're right. Radio, so yeah. So, um, so when I'm not in California, so the way that my situation works is that all the experimental work I do is based in the UK. So that's where my lab is. That's where I do experiments. And then I go to California for analysis and general kind of computer work. So obviously everything that's happened with COVID, um, I have, you know, traveling has been a real challenge. So I had basically done a whole bunch of experiments and, you know, now I'm doing analysis on the laptop and I'm writing that up into papers and stuff. So I can actually do that from anywhere, uh, which is cool. So that, that kind of gave me the opportunity to come out to Barbados and just, yeah, kick back and work. And fortunately, my, uh, my girlfriend, she's in tech, she's in FinTech, and she also had the opportunity to, you know, work from her laptop. So basically, we just thought, you know what, if we're going to be stuck in lockdown, we may as well be stuck in lockdown somewhere sunny, somewhere we can enjoy the beach. And actually, to be quite honest, in Barbados, there is no lockdown at the moment. So it's kind of life as normal, just with the usual COVID precautions. Is, is COVID, a, I was going to ask that, is COVID a big thing in Barbados? Uh, you said there were no lockdowns. Are people aware of it? Or is it just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever, but it doesn't really affect locally here? No, they're, they're definitely aware of it. So um, they have, a, basically, it's not a big problem here because they have really fantastic protocols as you, as you enter the island. So anyone coming in has to have a COVID test three days before they, uh, before they land. And then when you land after two days, you have to take a second COVID test. And then only once that second, co so basically you have to go into a designated, uh, like a quarantine hotel and you can choose which one you go to. And then after two days, they then let you out of the hotel. You can, uh, well, once you've got a negative COVID test, then you're basically allowed to roam the island, you know, as if you're, well, as COVID free. And then anyway, you, so if you go to a supermarket, they just spray your hands with hand sanitizer as you go in. If you go to any restaurants, it's the same usual stuff. You put a face mask on as you walk to the table. When you get down, you take it off. They, you know, again, they hand sanitize you. They take your phone number, your, your details. They take a temperature. So they're taking precautions, but they're basically keeping life as close to normal as possible. But I think because they're stopping everyone at the border who might be a high risk, it basically means that everyone in the country can just relax. Right, right. Definitely, it's a lot easier to do when, when you're a much smaller country than, than some of the bigger ones around the world. Absolutely. Um, in terms of your, your job, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I mean, you, you kind of have talked about it a couple of times on, on Twitter as well as the Discord um, channel in terms of you working for NASA, but you're a space scientist. Uh, what exactly does that mean? And, and, you had, and you had kind of dove deep, a bit deeper into talking about looking for life out there outside extraterrestrial life, I guess. Yeah. Um, what, can you, can you explain that a bit further and, and maybe a little bit into whatever you can disclose as to what you have possibly found? Um, yeah. So I'll start with your kind of first question, which was what does being a space scientist mean? Um, it's a bit more vague. So, you know, I trained as an astrophysicist um, and then I, 
and then I did my PhD. I was a hypervelocity impact physicist, <laughs> and now I'm a now I'm just a space scientist. So it, it basically means that I work on science projects um, that are in space. So I'm not specialist in terms of anything in particular. Well, although I am specialist in, in, in things that are in particular, but space scientist is a very broad term. So I'm a specialist basically in detectors. So that might be detecting orbital debris. It might be trying to detect life. It might be, you know, it can be detecting anything basically with, uh, with high velocity impact sensors. I know this is probably going to, uh, you can stop me at any point if I start going into too much detail. So um, the project I'm working on now is, uh, how would I describe it without giving too much information away? So there are, there are high, there are high, what should I say, pro, uh, high profile targets in our solar system where life might be. One of the obvious ones is Mars. There's uh, Enceladus, which is one of Saturn's moons. There's Europa, which is another moon. And these basically, these are all planets or planetary bodies that have high likelihood of life. Basically, it means they have water, they have an energy source. What we do is we basically send spacecraft to these different locations and we collect samples and then we do, you know, chemical analysis or mass spectrometry uh, analysis, you know, anything we can kind of do to try and dissect the sample and see whether there's organic molecules there or whether there's biosignatures and, you know, ultimately signs of life. Uh, let me stop so you real kinda... quick. Let me stop you real quickly there. How long does, how long <laughs> yeah. does it take to get a spacecraft there? Uh, okay, so uh, the project I'm working on is in the Saturnian system. So that's about a four-year journey. It depends how you get there. So if you do a straight shot, I think you can do it in about three years. If you then use gravitational slingshots around different bodies, it can take five years. It's a long journey. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so after I cut you off there, keep going. Uh, well, yeah. So, so we have these targets, there's chemical, uh, we're going to do chemical analysis. Yeah. So, so the, okay. So my part specifically, um, is how do you capture those samples? So Enceladus, for example, has, has a subsurface ocean. It's about 20 kilometers underneath an ice cap. Uh, which means we can't access the ocean itself. And that's where, you know, if there's life or if there was life, that's where we'll find the remains or, you know, or the samples. Because of this ice cap, we actually can't, you know, we can't get direct samples. Uh, but in the South Polar region of the moon, there's massive cracks and the ocean is, is pluming out into space as these tiny little ice particles. So the idea is that you'll, you'll fly a spacecraft through that plume of ice and capture it and then once you've got the ice, you can then put it through, you know, all your fancy chemical analysis systems and decide, well, not decide, but determine whether there's life there. So the, the, cha the challenge for me is that, uh, you know, you're coming in at about, you know, possibly 10 kilometers a second. Uh, what's that? You know, that's more than 30,000 miles an hour. It's, it's fast. Uh, and then, you know, maybe we can get there slower. Maybe we can do that in three kilometers a second. But the problem is, is that, you know, coming in at that speed, and then you and then you you hit this ice, these ice particles, which might contain life or biosignatures or you know any organics, and for that matter, if you hit them at that speed, you basically cream the organics. So not only do you have to figure out a way of actually capturing enough of that ice to make meaningful scientific uh, you know analysis, you actually have to also capture it without killing any life that might be there. So. This is really the challenge that I have uh, in my day-to-day -day job is, is pretty much just designing that, that system that will capture 
this, that will capture the ice or capture the sample without destroying it. And this is a, a very naive question, uh, perhaps, and it's probably a pretty stupid question to ask. But if, if it takes four years to get there, and let's say you collect uh, a couple, let's let's say at quickest you're there for a couple of days. Obviously, if it takes you four years to get there, you're, uh, the spacecraft is staying there for, for a bit longer, taking pictures or, or drawing samples or whatnot, or, or feeling the terrain of the land. Um, and then it takes another four years to come back to the lab. Uh, that full cycle takes about 10 years. Uh, is, that, is, that a, is that a really long time to, to figure out if something is working or not? Because uh, it feels like in my head, okay, well, you just mentioned to me about how you're trying to come up with a, with a, with a way in order to get samples that, that will work um, in the lab and to figure out what you guys are trying to look for. Um, but you can only really hypothetically design it. And then you've got a four-year waiting period for, for the spacecraft to actually get onto Saturn uh, or onto its moons in order to actually capture that, um, that stuff to see if it works. Is that, a, is that a pretty frustrating process to have to wait that long? Uh, the, the weight is definitely frustrating, but it's not quite as, uh, roll the dice as you may think. So, um, also the weight is much longer. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, it's a, it's like a five year, you know, instrument design plan. Then you've got to wait for NASA to basically announce your mission. Then you've got to actually get selected onto the mission. Then they give you like three years to plan and build the actual flight version. Then you have to travel there. And then you get to do your experiment. So it's actually, you know, from start to finish, it's more like a 15 year period. Oh, it's, it's a, it's a human, you... it's a human controlled space. No, 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 no. Oh, no, okay. No, no, okay. No, okay. No. Okay. When yeah, you say no, you travel, it's autonomous. I was no, like, no, what? Just, you know, your <laughs> it's like, how is this not in the news everywhere? <laughs> it's, it's been in the news a bit, actually. <laughs> I guess if you don't follow, you know, space, then you probably haven't seen it. Um, yeah. So, okay. What I do here on earth is, is basically I test it. So I say we're going to be hitting that plume at, you know, let's say five kilometers per second is our velocity. I will actually, uh, so I've spent the last two years designing experiments where we, where we can actually shoot ice, plumes of ice at our designs. So we will, we'll basically build prototypes of our capture system and then we'll shoot it with ice at real high speed, you know, three kilometers a second. Um, and, and we basically make sure that what, you know, we find out exactly what the capture efficiencies are. We find out exactly whether the, you know, which organics are surviving. We make, we make sure absolutely that the instrument will work when it gets there. Of course, there are, you know, you never know. There can always be, there can always be anomalies when you arrive. That is, that is the risk we take. Uh, but we do everything we can before, you know, before we launch to make sure that there are no surprises. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. You definitely don't want to be spending that much money and, and having it be a roll of the dice. It just seems like with the uncertainty and, and how big space is and, and everything that's out there that uh, obviously the, the, the chances of something unforeseen happening or something going wrong is, is, pretty, is pretty high. It's a lot higher than if you were to create an experiment here on Earth where all of the different variables are, are largely known and there isn't really too much that, that can pop out of the blue or is super surprising. Uh, in terms of uh, this project and, and other projects in the past, have you been involved with something in which a spacecraft has come back with samples? No, actually. Um, all of the stuff I've done has been in situ analysis, which is, which is great, really. Um, <laughs> it means you haven't got to wait for the return samples. Uh, I have got colleagues who have worked on some really cool ones um big one being stardust um they they collected a whole bunch of samples and brought those back from a comet um 
And then one of the, my colleagues in the lab was working on Hubble Space Telescope, like solar array samples, which was kind of cool. So again, to see all these kind of space things um, in kind of in the flesh is, is really awesome. But no, I haven't, I haven't done any of that myself. And when you're talking about samples back, obviously you're talking about like microorganisms and, and super small single cell um, things that could potentially be in those samples, right? You're not talking about like aliens or human sized things that, that could be- Unfortunately not. <laughs> no, no aliens yet. Not that I know of anyway. Uh, that's above my pay grade, I think at this point. <laughs> what are your <laughs> thoughts on, what are your thoughts on aliens? Obviously, I think it's been in the news a lot lately with, with the US government kind of basically saying that they're not denying that there are aliens out there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on extraterrestrial life? I mean, it's definitely out there in my opinion. Um, whether it's kind of green men, you know, with arms and legs and faces uh, and phases, I, I doubt that. Well, not that I doubt that. I don't, I don't know. But I definitely believe that there's life, definitely. Um, when you think of the number of stars, or the, you know, actually go bigger, if you think of the number of galaxies, galaxy clusters and in those galaxies there are billions of stars and all of those stars have you know trillions of planets around them you know you only need a few planets to be similar to ours with similar conditions and you know realistically well if you if you if you come from a science background then you know it's just the law of averages that the life will form elsewhere so i'm definitely a big believer in an extraterrestrial life in some form at least yeah for sure isn't it kind of weird that we have this general perception or everybody's sort of agreed upon what those aliens would look like, whether they're little green men, kind of like in, <laughs> in Toy Story or just like big silver kind of medium sized objects with super wide head and super wide eyes. Uh, it's kind of weird that we've kind of drawn conclusions that aliens would essentially seem scary. Uh, maybe it's because we always, as, as humans, we, we fear the unknown and the unknown always seems scary to us. But I mean, they could just as easily look like something as, as approachable as like a, a fluffy dog, right? And, and something that's well, exactly. friendly, friendly looking. Um, so I've always found that super weird about our, our human perception of what aliens could potentially look like. Uh, in terms of uh, being a scientist and being a space scientist, was this something that you had always wanted to do growing up? Yeah, good question. Um... I always wanted, yeah, I had, you know, you know, when you grow up, you kind of have a few boxes you want to tick uh, in life, you know, <laughs> life tick boxes, if you will. Um, yeah, I, working for NASA was always, you know, was always one of my boxes. I always wanted to do that. Um, funny enough, I actually, I didn't go into, into, into this expecting to ever do that. It kind of all, things just sort of kept aligning uh, and I kept getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer with each kind of period. And I actually, after I did my undergraduate, I actually left um, to go and do a master's in, actually in, in finance and trading, funny enough. Um, and then at the 11th hour, about a week before the master's course started, I pulled out and decided, you know, I can always go into trading later. Um, you know, I can, I can teach myself trading, but I can't teach myself, you know, physics or what well, you can, but you know, I couldn't teach myself this, this sort of high level space stuff. So I decided to do a master's in, in space. Uh, I kept going with that route. And then at the end of my master's, my supervisor was like, hey, look, I mean, you know, at that, at that point I was like, okay, now I'm going to leave and I'm going to go into finance. Um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then my supervisor was like, hey, look, there's this, there's this project. You'll get an opportunity to work at NASA. You know, why don't you come and do a PhD? I was like, you know what? <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my boxes i'm going to take it right now i'm going to take the opportunity so i did it i did the phd it was great enjoyed every minute of it and then i was like and um and now now i'm going to go and i actually went and spent two days on the trading floor in new york um 
everyone there was like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you here? Uh, why, why, aren't you, why aren't you working in the space industry? And I got offered this position in California and, uh, you know, again, another NASA project. And I was like, oh, crap. I was like, I better take this one as well. You know, I just, I just really enjoy it. I really enjoyed the work. It's really fun. It's really cool. So I guess I, I can't really say that I was, uh, it was always my intention. I think it was just really awesome opportunities that presented themselves and I just snatched them. Um, so I've always really been on the fence between, yeah, some sort of trading or, or, or the space, you know, space was definitely, you know, always a kind of desire, but it was never necessarily my, what I assumed would ever be my career. Um, so yeah. And now I'm, now I'm kind of enjoying best of both worlds, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The beauty of the beauty that crypto offers us. Yeah. And that would be a perfect segue. Although I've got a couple more questions for, for this NASA stuff because I'm super intrigued. Uh, (laughs) How how long have you been at NASA for now? Um, I'm, so I'm not technically, uh, so I'm a, well, it's it's complicated. Um, two years plus PhD was about a year and a bit with them. So about three and a half years or so. Okay. So you don't you just, so you can't technically work for NASA if you are not American. So the way that that works is you work for a so I work for a company that's basically funded by NASA. So I'm paid by NASA, but I don't technically work. Well, I guess I do work. I work for NASA, but I'm not a NASA employee. Right. I guess sense. so. So, so, so I'm they an just employee by a third party. Right. They contract yeah, so on a third party contract. and you work work for that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then in that sense, because because I guess you feel uh, this next question might not make as much sense, uh, but but you do talk about uh, essentially basically working for NASA and that and, and I can feel your your strong allegiance towards NASA. Um, what are your thoughts on SpaceX? Um, that's obviously a very uh, current topic and something that's 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 popped up in the past decade or so, uh, and they seem to be gaining a lot of traction. Um, but even in terms of regulatory loopholes, or not, not loopholes per se, uh, but, but sort of guidelines and, and how long it takes to, to get certain projects off the ground, it, uh, like you were mentioning earlier in terms of how long it actually takes in this process in order to get all of the, um, all of the, the different things in play before you're able to send a spacecraft into space, uh, where, where SpaceX seems to just basically, okay, we've got this, we've got this idea, everybody work around the clock as fast as you can, and let's, let's get this thing up and running. Uh, what are your thoughts on SpaceX and what they're doing? Uh, the short answer is that I, I love SpaceX. I think it's great. Um, I think what they're doing is essential, personally. I think a lot of my, you know, a lot of people give Elon Musk heat. Uh, I, I wish they wouldn't. I think, uh, yes, he's eccentric and yeah, he can be a little, you know, wild sometimes, but actually, you know, his vision is, um, is really intriguing. And I think it's extremely important. You know, I, for, for me as a space scientist and come from the space industry, I think that the biggest, you know, the big, the biggest difficulty that mankind will ultimately you know, face will be a disaster to the earth, which basically, you know, wipes mankind out. And the only way to basically solve that is to colonize a different planet. And that's Mars, you know, Mars is the only realistic planet that we can actually colonize in, in the near future. So I think Elon Musk has a lot, um, you know, he has a big task ahead, but that's basically what SpaceX is doing when you look at the big picture. Now this, okay, this may not be factual. This is my theory. Uh, you look at, so Elon Musk has a few companies. He's got SpaceX, they make reusable rockets. 
uh, you've, he's got Solar City, I think it's called. Yep, Solar City, which makes solar panels. He's got Tesla, which which makes electric cars, but really they make batteries. Um, and he's got the Boring Company, which which digs tunnels. So <laughs> these are all really you know seemingly random companies, but when you start thinking about well, how will we actually how will we actually you know populate Mars? Well, first of all, we're going to need reusable rockets. How do you get there? How do you leave if there's an emergency? When you get there. Because of the radiation, you can't live on the surface of Mars. You have to live underground. So you'll have to tunnel. When you live underground, the only energy source you're going to have, basically, is going to be solar panels. So you need killer solar panels. And then you're going to need to store all that electricity. So you're going to need amazing batteries. So when you really look at all of these companies that Elon Musk is building, um, on the face of it, they seem a little bit random. You know, why does Elon Musk care about Tesla? And electric cars. Well, the truth is he doesn't really care all that much from what I can see, but what he really cares about is the underlying tech. Now, you know, don't quote me on this. This is just purely my opinion on what his kind of grand plan is, but I do think he's someone who builds a grand plan. And I think, um, you know, what, you know, we'll bring it back to SpaceX. I think what he's doing with SpaceX is, is fantastic. And I think that he's doing a great job of leveraging government funding, you know, from NASA and using that to drive this technology. And he can drive it at a pace, which is, you know, far beyond what any government institute can do because he hasn't got the red tape. Um, it helps that he's only going to low Earth orbit, so he doesn't have to follow all the kind of crazy regulations that, you know, we have to do if we're going sort of deeper into the solar system. And of course, he's not doing anything, you know, that's going to contaminate other worlds. So he hasn't got to go through the same sort of rigorous procedures that NASA do. But because they're essentially privatizing that entire space launch industry, he's able to turn it into a private company, which, yeah, I mean, of course, private companies are always going to be much more efficient than government institutions. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan. Let's put that, it that way. That, that, that was an incredible response and something I've never really thought about to, to at least obviously just a theory to try to connect the dots of, of everything that he's doing. Uh, whereas uh, somebody like me just sees it as like, okay, well, he sees different problems and he just tries to do whatever comes to his mind to try to fix things. And there isn't really a solution that seems to be too grand for him to try. But when you really put it into that context, it seems to really all make a lot of sense, obviously just as, as a theory, but, um, but, but there's definitely a, a reason why you work for NASA and, and I don't because I would have never put something like that together or said it so eloquently um, or even had a theory like that in mind. Um, so, so that was absolutely amazing. Um, and I think that's a perfect way to end that segment in terms of space and sort of what you do, uh, which leads me to my next segment because uh, you have talked about potentially doing uh, um, some, some work uh, on the trading floor and in finance. Uh, how did you find out about crypto? Yeah, so, geez, crypto, a long time ago. Um, I was on a flight somewhere, probably probably here to Barbados, actually. And uh, I was reading The New Scientist. I guess that's, that's an English magazine. Um, it's a, basically, it's a science magazine. And in there, there was this kind of like a short piece about Bitcoin. This was back, I mean, I can't remember the exact year. I was, I was, I was pretty young. Um, you know, I had no idea about trading or, or finance, you know, I was young enough to not know anything about finance. Um, I think Bitcoin is maybe around a dollar. And I can remember reading about it thinking, hmm, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, having a digital currency that, that can be used worldwide without exchange rates and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's, that's, that's really awesome. So, you know, that was the, that was the first I ever heard about it. And then I kind of, I read the article, I got off a plane, I had my holiday and that was that. 
And then I didn't really hear much more about it until, let me think like, maybe during 2000 and, let me get my dates right, like 14, 15, and I had a friend, no, maybe 2000, yeah, 2000, maybe 14, 15. And I had a friend who basically, he, he was renting an apartment. This is when we, I was uh, at, uni, at uni, and he was, he had a, he had a, basically his apartment was bills included. So he had set up this massive PC rig and he'd just been mining Bitcoin for like a year straight because he wasn't paying for the electricity bill. And that was when I kind of started getting back into it. And I was like, oh yeah, like crypto, Bitcoin, I can remember. You know, I remember reading about this, you know, years ago. Anyway, so he, and he was like a massive, massive crypto fan and was banging on about it all the time, all the time. And so I started, I sort of started getting back into it back then. I think I, I think in 2016 was when I, actually started buying you know buying my first cryptocurrencies um yeah that was yeah that was pretty much my introduction to it does, does that guy drawn out one. does that guy still own crypto or is he still in crypto <laughs> he must have made a lot of money if he was doing it way back then <laughs> I met, he had a lot i messaged <laughs> he had a lot yeah i messaged him um you know after the last bull run when it hit like twenty thousand dollars and i was like dude please please tell me you've still got you know you've still got your your Bitcoin. And he was like, you know, like, I think he ended up selling most of it around $600 because we had that like mini little bull run before the big bull run. And maybe that was in 2015. I can't remember the exact dates, but he, you know, he's, he, he did have some, but he didn't have anywhere near, you know, he just cashed out at like $600. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to blame him. I mean, uh, looking back, obviously hindsight is 2020, but even if you go from $1 to 600, that's a 600 times return on your, on your investment of hypothetically zero, because I guess well, he must have bought- it was free. Yeah, he must so have bought he, the computer equipment, but the electricity well, yeah, was completely true. free. Um, so <laughs> it would have been a, a ridiculous return to to really, uh, at that point, you're basically losing sleep over it, wondering, okay, what happens if this thing crashes all the way back down to, to zero? You won't be able to forgive yourself for the amount of money you've left on the table. So um, definitely, it makes sense. Obviously, looking in the grand scheme of things in hindsight, it kind of sucks that he sold so early, but obviously, hindsight is 2020, and it's really hard to to kind of come up. Uh, with yeah. that hypothesis in the beginning. Um, so, so that's a great intro to Bitcoin. Uh, how did you find your way into reserve? Yeah, so actually full disclosure, anyone who kind of knows me from uh, Twitter, maybe not Twitter, it's a little bit less forgiving, but certainly our Discord group, uh, they know I'm not actually a massive Bitcoin fan. Um, I never really, I mean, I know, I know this kind of contradicts what I said earlier, but I never really saw the true value in crypto or blockchain technology as currencies. Um, I think there's room for some currencies, but I think generally, I think I see the use case for blockchain as, as different technology companies. You know, I think that the, um, God, in, in, in the, <laughs> back in 2016, I invested in one called Gollum, GNT, which was, uh, let me remember, they, were, they, they wanted to basically use, you know, millions, your mobile phone, basically, all the processing power on your mobile phones and, put them all together and make supercomputers out of your mobile phones. And there was a, you know, a bunch of guys who wanted to use all your spare hard drives on your devices and make, you know, essentially remake Dropbox. And I looked at another company and met a, a few folks who were trying to use blockchain for energy transfer. So if I have a solar you know, panel on my roof and, and you don't, I can, I can basically sell you electricity through blockchain and it's all, you know, all done that way. Um, so, I, basically, I spent a lot of time researching other cool blockchain technologies. Um, and along the way, you know, obviously, as you will know, you come across 
a whole bunch of crazy wacky projects but you know about a year ago i kind of yeah i started seeing reserve <laughs> and uh, as i started this you know little segment saying that i'm not a massive fan of uh of, as crypto as a currency when i when i saw reserve i thought you know actually this is different because they're not just simply making currency for the sake of making currency um the beauty of reserve is that they're they're building this currency that has a direct use case for hyperinflation countries and i i feel that you know i got interested by the way that they were trying to roll out this technology not just as a simple usual stable coin but you know they'd actually done the research and they'd you know they'd found a target market and they'd found the people that really need this it's not just us guys who aren't just you know we want to just trade in and out of a stable pair this is actually this is actually a project and a currency that that is really doing something meaningful meaningful um but i didn't buy in immediately uh into reserve but you know as, as soon as we had that covid crash uh, that was my that was my moment i just jumped straight in there uh, it was around zero point shit, 0 0.002 something like that at the time and i was like yeah now's now's the time <laughs> it's time to go big and i just dumped in a whole load of yeah the whole load of capital and um well yeah we all know what's happened since it's it's a fantastic project do you remember what your first exposure to reserve was in terms of did you see it on on twitter or did you come across it talking to a friend how did you uh, really find out about it yeah yeah on twitter um back then um yeah i did basically i found coins on twitter do you remember who <laughs> it was that 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 you read the tweet of <laughs> yeah uh, it's uh i mean i hope i hope if you guys don't know him you better know him uh my guy bitcoin brown you know he he's been campaigning for yes. reserve you know for for a really long time um i was uh you know he, he's yeah he's awesome um <laughs> a bit eccentric too at times definitely um, but I, was, I was in there i was in the um what's it called the specter group kind of almost from the get-go and I, I think i was one of the first like hundred you know within the first hundred people in that in that channel um and just had loads of really great exposure from those guys you know they've been doing this well for a long time and they uh you know a lot of those guys you know they've they've got the knowledge. <laughs> Let's put it this way: you know they're definitely hearing about projects before you know before you would ordinarily hear about it. So if you don't follow those guys, I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah, and he's actually one of the uh, one of the guys on my short list of who I want coming up in the next couple episodes on this podcast. So so that's awesome um, that you're able to find something like this through uh, somebody like him who's been promoting it for as long as I've been introduced to this space, and he's been uh, one of the bigger players. Um, thus far, in terms of reserve and potential challenges or, or obstacles that you see coming down the line um, to mass adoption and obviously the success of the project, uh, are there a couple big ones that that concern you um, in terms of trying to figure out a solution to it, uh, or or is it just kind of okay? Well, I think we've we've sort of got a backup or a contingency plan for if this happens and if this happens. Yeah, I mean. You hear a lot about this like talk, uh, not so much on Twitter. It's just a lot of shilling on Twitter, but definitely I find it in our, in our discord group. I hear a lot of these sort of, what would I call it? Like educated, not educated. That's not the right word. Um, I don't know. Just good discussion about things like this. That yeah. I think it's actually happen. discussions you know, about, about big picture concepts of the actual project instead of just what the price is going to be. Right. Well, that's why I love it. That's why I love the discord group. It's um, anyway, we'll, we'll come on to that later, but 
Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious big challenge for them is going to be governments. Um, I think they're going to have to work with governments. Um, that's really the only kind of major. So the way I see it, and I think, I think I'm getting it right from the guys at Reserve, the leadership team. Um, they're using Venezuela and where are they, Colombia and you know a couple of other locations. They're really using that to refine their product. They're not, they're not just, you know, they haven't got blinkers on there. They haven't got tunnel vision. They're not just saying, oh, we're just obsessed with Venezuela. You know, they're using Venezuela because it's, it's, the, it's the best training ground for the reserve app. It's where the problem is the biggest. It's where the people need it the most. And it's where they can dedicate their time out to build up a fantastic product. And I think that they're doing that. You know, we're seeing, I know that people complain that there's not enough updates from the team and stuff, but I mean, come on, let these guys do their job. They are, they're, they're doing a fantastic job and they're, they're crunching down on that product and making sure that it's, you know, perfect. Well, not perfect, but they're making sure that it's actually, you know, a product that can be rolled out. So I think I hear a lot of people kind of getting concerned that they're, you know, they're not rolling out quick enough or they're not giving updates, you know, to, to us, like, as you know, I don't need an update from them necessarily, you know, like that's their business. They need to be doing their job. I'd much rather they were, you know, doing their job in Venezuela than worrying about updating me on Twitter, quite frankly. Um, but I think that once they, once they do that, they're going to have this killer project uh, that they can just roll out and they can, the beauty of it is it's just an app that you download. Like it, it's going to be awesome. Like, you know, how do I, how do I put it? I mean, I'm not really answering your question. I'm just getting excited about the app and the rollout of reserve. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, uh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is the thing like challenge. I don't see any challenges if they can get the product right, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If the product is, you know, if it, if it fills a hole or if it must, okay, we're losing. This might be one of those moments where we rewind. Um, Give me a second. No, I mean, uh, at the same time, in <laughs> terms of, this. no, in terms of your, your, your challenges and thinking about making a product that works, that's basically what Nevin had said when he came on this podcast, right? As, in terms of one of the biggest challenges, um, he didn't necessarily seek government intervention and, and having to comply with, with governments that may potentially step in as one of the bigger ones, because that was just something that was just in the background. But his biggest thing in terms of the success of the project is creating an actual product um, that has as little uh, resistance to to use as possible and something that will actually be helpful for people to use. Um, and, and we've kind of seen how conservative they are right now with the app rollout. They don't want to roll out just a, a bad product that has a lot of bugs. Um, they're very uh, concentrated on, on keeping the, the user base right now, just a beta testing very small user base and slowly rolling it out. And, and updating the app as fast as they can to, to fix all these glitches and bugs um, before they roll it out to everybody for, for mass consumption. And, and what you were saying in terms of uh, not really caring about updates, it's kind of weird. Uh, you can really tell who's invested in this for the long haul and who isn't uh, by how impatient people are with the price. Um, right. Obviously, it's uh, it's it can be a little uncomforting if you if you bought at, at the highest of, of 0.033 cents. Um, and then now it's obviously not not at that level. Uh, but if all you're worried about every single day is, OK, why haven't they released more news to pump this uh, to pump up the price or why isn't it listed on Coinbase yet? Um, then you don't really see that the big potential of the project, because at the end of the day, if you're invested in the, in the long run, all that really matters is that they're able to get mass adoption. In, in, in any country, right? If, if they are in Venezuela 
and, and they're rolling it out and the app doesn't work and there's no adoption and they've got a hundred users on this thing. It doesn't matter how many times they tweet about what's about to happen or, or how often it's listed on Coinbase and all these new exchanges. None of that really matters because the price will go nowhere. And if they're able to get some type of mass adoption or, or users in, in those areas, um, then it doesn't really matter what the price is right now. The, the price is going to prove itself out in the long run. So what well, so exactly? Yeah. I mean, the intrinsic value in, in RSR is that RSV is a widely adopted stablecoin. So exactly, exactly what you said. I mean, if they don't have a, and I think the important thing as well, and I, I, I think it was Nevin or someone touched on this as well recently, is this got to be organic growth. Like they said, they could spend, you know, a million dollars and they could advertise this big time in Venezuela and they could get loads of people onto the app and they could, and they could boast about how they've got or millions of app downloads. But if people aren't actually using the app, they're just creating a false sense of achievement in themselves. It, you know, they'll, they'll think that the product's great. And then what will happen over time is that people will just simply stop using the app. So I think actually the way around that they're doing it at the moment, and essentially they're spending nothing on advertising, that's exactly how they should be doing it. Because if you have organic growth, it's, it's honest growth. You know, it, it truly means that your app has value. So I think it's great, you know, I'm personally a massive fan of the way they're doing it and, you know, just let them, let them get on with it. That's my, yeah. <laughs> that's my kind of, you know, that's my two cents. Yeah, I agree. I think at first, when I first started investing in the project, obviously it was a little bit frustrating to not have as much transparency, but after hearing some of what Nevin had to say and, and reading some of their, their Q and A's or their, or their AMA's, ask me anything, uh, you can mm -hmm. really see sort of their focus and where their priorities are. And, and it's funny because uh, obviously they've got a very lean team and they're as lean as possible, but the priorities are in the right place and their priorities are where you would like them to be if you are a long-term investor. Obviously, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're literally 100% of the resources are in the only thing that matters. And everything else is essentially noise that, that helps you make, it makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, if you read a tweet about them and it's like, Hey, I align with this. It makes me feel good about myself. It pumps the thing up 0 0.0001 or whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm in the money a hundred dollars. Um, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really make any significant changes to the project. Um, nor does it help it increase its success rate in the long run. So, so I think where they've got the resources right now is absolutely perfect. And, and I don't think I would change anything about it if I was them. Um, yeah, exactly. Which is great. Um, and going back to the government point, um, you know, once they have got the app ready, they don't need, they can just roll it out. They just make it available. So they shouldn't have any real pushback from governments. I don't, I mean, of course there will be in certain, in, in certain nations, but I think, you know, I think people can chill out about that really. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think I agree as well. Um, I, I think we've even seen in Venezuela there's been an openness uh, with the government in terms of cryptocurrencies and, and accepting them. Um, so, so I, I don't think it'll be as big of a problem as people think uh, it will be. Obviously, there will probably some be some type of of issue that does come up, but it's not something I don't foresee taking down the project as a whole. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to find that there are probably going to be a country here or there that will eventually ban this thing if it does get big enough. Uh, but by, by that point, um, they basically got proof of concept and, and it just essentially means that we're doing something right. Um, and that this project has, has blown up to a lot bigger than it currently is right now, which is, which is good. 
negative attention from governments is a good thing. It means that you're doing something right. <laughs> exactly. You're ruffling feathers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, in terms of technical analysis, so this kind of uh, was, was a section that I wanted to, to briefly touch upon, but, but you had kind of already answered that in terms of your, your background in schooling um, go, growing up. Uh, but, but you do provide some technical analysis uh, for short-term pricing for those who want to kind of swing trade their their short-term bags, obviously we're, we're, we're emphasizing the fact that you should be keeping a lot of it in, in your long-term bags, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but, but there is the urge when you're reading on crypto Twitter about how, how many, how many people are, are kind of making a lot based on flipping uh, and, and kind of trying to catch swing trades. Uh, so in terms of your technical analysis that you do provide in the chat, I find most of the times it's, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of this is not going to be 100% accurate, and a lot of it does, does require uh, a little bit of a forecasting and guessing game to it. Obviously, if you were 100% certain, um, you'd be a billionaire by now. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in terms of your technical analysis, I find for the most part it is very accurate. Um, how did you learn how to read charts? Man, I'm still learning how to read charts. <laughs> that's, the, that's the honest answer. Um, how do I learn? I mean, so a lot of people ask for resources. I haven't read any books. I'll get that out of the way first. Um, I don't think you'll read anything in a book that you'll be able to put into practice. It's good to learn the theory from a book, but I don't think you can learn anything from a book that you can't read in five minutes on Google. That's my personal opinion on that. Um, the way I do it, and the way, well, the way I did it, I've done it, is I found a few people that I followed who have, who I can kind of get exposure to their thoughts. And then I picked a few very simple trading strategies and I started implementing them one by one. And I learned by trading them, that's it. You just have to put your money in the game because you can sit there with a, you know, with a fake account, you know, with loaded up with $20,000 and you can start pumping trades out and making, you know, making hand over fist, right? You're, you're just cashing in every time. And as soon as you put your own money into that trade, it's different. You don't exit at the right time. You don't enter at the right time. You know, things change immediately as soon as you put real money in. So and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It can be, it does, you know, it, it's horses for courses. It can be $10. It can be $100. It can be $1,000. It's really up to you. But I think I would urge anyone who wants to actually try and learn is just to start simple and start small. Only trade what you can afford to lose. And when I say afford to lose, I mean, you know, not like, oh, I can forego dinner on Friday night. It means I have literally $50, which I don't mind tearing up and throwing in the bin right now. Okay, that's what you trade with, all right? Now this is, you know, I don't think anyone should be trade. And if you feel anxious about your trades at any point, then you have too much skin in the game and you should get out. There's no point, if, if it's making you uncomfortable, then you are obviously overexposed and that's it, just stop. Um, so let me bring this back to the trading analysis. So I started with simple levels. I mean, so, <laughs> so I have a few guys who I listen to and I, I'm still asking them questions all the time. So if anyone feels like they wanna ask me questions, I'll give them you know, an honest answer, but I'm not gonna guarantee that what I'm saying is right. It's just, you know, just ask questions of anyone and everyone. That's my advice. So I started with uh, the most simple of trading concepts, which is support and resistance levels. And I think a lot of people overlook it and they try and get really fancy. They start drawing lines all over the place, not straight lines, diagonal lines, and they're drawing trend lines, then drawing bull flags, and they're drawing you know, all this stuff that, I mean, ugh, 
<laughs> it's over-engineering the problem. Uh, when, you know, when any stock goes up, it doesn't go straight up. You know, Bitcoin doesn't just go parabolic. It goes up in steps. And as it goes up in steps, it creates these levels. And then when it comes back down, it comes, it comes back down in steps. It doesn't just, well, sometimes it plummets straight down, but it plummets down to a, to a step, to a level. And if you look at charts um, over a longer time period, you know, on a daily, weekly or whatever, like something like that, you can see these levels quite clearly. And you can just draw straight lines, horizontal lines across your screen. And, you know, do it, have a go. You'll see, you'll see these horizontal lines. And so I think a lot of the stuff you've been referring to in our, in our, in the, you know, in the channel where I've been making calls, making price, you know, price predictions. And yeah, like you said, quite often it's hit it, you know, pretty much bang on, you know, to like four decimal places or something. It's like extremely accurate, but it's because I'm just, I'm just drawing a simple support resistance line. And if I'm at the bottom, you know, if I'm at the, if I'm at the support, it's like, okay, great. This is a good time to buy because it should bounce off the support and go back up. And then when it gets up to the resistance level, you know, it's probably time to sell. Sometimes, of course, it will smash through your resistance and then it'll flip and then that resistance will become support. And then, okay, fine. So you set a, you set a stop loss just above. So if, you know, if you're wrong and it actually goes firing past your support level or resistance level, rather, you just say, okay, no worries. I just put a stop loss in. Sometimes we're wrong. That's okay. Um, so that's the first thing. Sorry, stop me if I'm ranting. Um, that's the first kind of advice I would, I would, well, that's the first thing I did. And then after that, another trading strategy I really, uh, I really enjoy is the Ichimoku cloud. So <laughs> sounds really fancy. It's basically a few, it's, it's, well, it's three lines and a cloud. So again, all it really does is it, it's just giving you more support and resistance levels. And it just tells you when to buy and when to sell. Well, it doesn't tell you when to buy, but it gives you an indication of when to buy and when to sell. And ultimately, there are three indicators on the Ichimoku cloud. Um, one is price action above the cloud. That's good. Is your, um, well, this, yeah, is <laughs> actually this is going to get way too detailed. I don't want to get too technical about it, but just you can Google this, right? It's a five minute Google Ichimoku cloud trading. And there's three very clear signals that come. And if those three signals align, it's either a buy or a sell signal. And generally speaking, and you can look back through history of the charts, when those three, when those three signals align, it, it does what, it, you know, it generally, generally speaking, the price action does what it says it's going to do. It will go up or it will go down. So it, I think if you can take a step back and just chill out and just look at what the chart is saying and just follow the rules, more often than not, the prediction and the, the truth is in the analysis. It rarely actually lies to you because this is science. It's just, it's just data. It doesn't have an agenda. And I know people think, oh, every time I put a trade on it, it goes the other way. And that it does certainly feel like that um, a lot of the time. But I think that's because people are rushing into trades because they've, you know, they've just got a paycheck. They want to they load up their bag. But just hold on to that USDT or hold on to that BTC and just wait for the right moment see what the chart's telling you and then pull the trigger yeah it's uh <laughs> that's definitely uh, really technical and actually pretty cool to, to hear some of the terminology and 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 sort of some of the starting points that if you're really looking to become uh, a day trader or a serious trader uh, or even learn how to read a chart um, where to start and with little support support lines um 
uh, and, and the three lines in a cloud, which I'm gonna which I'm gonna look up after this podcast because I've never heard of that before. Uh, but it's pretty cool because I almost see every like the majority of people out there, every chart like that that's got lines on it looks like a, a two year old drawing to me. Looks like somebody just just had their toddler just scribble all over the chart, and somehow they're able to make sense of it and, and figure out when to buy and, and when when to sell, which is absolutely incredible to me. Uh, but if you're out there and and uh, and like James is saying, uh, if you're interested in this, please uh, just try it with a small amount of money that you can afford to lose. Uh, there's always the secondary plan of investing and doing something like like I do myself, which is about 95% of 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 all my money into crypto, I've just got in long-term bags. So I've just basically bought reserve. I'm holding it on an off offline ledger and it's just going to sit there until it, it, exp, it exponentially grows, right? There's no need for me to uh, take it and trade it on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on even a monthly basis. Uh, I've got it in there and it's just going to sit there for the next year or so. And then I'll do a, a reanalysis as to, okay, well, the price has gone up by this much now um, do I need to buy or do I need to sell and it becomes much more clear if you're just kind of playing the long game you definitely don't want to uh, be right in terms of a long-term hypothesis but don't make any money or or kind of lose it all before you're able to even see that long-term hypothesis play out um, so so definitely trade what you can afford and and be on the safe side and, and definitely educate yourself before you get into it and don't just get into crypto trading with the theory that all crypto just goes up because uh, if you don't time it properly, uh, you will lose all your money before it does inevitably go up. Um, so, so that's that's a very, uh, a very, a very great quick, uh, quick lesson for everybody out there who's looking into who's looking into getting into technical analysis. Uh, anything else on that on that topic before we move on? Well, I would like to interject and kind of confirm what you just said there. Um, you know, we we are on the brink of a big bull run. A very big bull run. I think that this next one we're gonna is gonna make the previous one, you know, like it's gonna be laughable. Um, the investors this time around are institutional investors. These guys have a lot of money, billions of dollars. Um, they're also not gonna panic buy and not gonna panic sell. So this is gonna be a very different bull cycle, I think, that's that's coming up. Um, and I guess a message uh, to, to you know to to all the listeners and to people who don't trade, um, you don't need to trade right now to make money. <laughs> if you just buy and hold, that's great. Um, you know, only trade a, a side bag if you, if a, if you want to do it, if you just want to enjoy trading, and you know, maybe if if you just if you just can't afford to buy a huge bag of RSR, for example, then maybe you can try and trade a little bit now to boost your bag. But seriously, when this thing takes off, you don't want to get left behind, and you don't want to get stuck on the wrong side of the trade with all your money in USDT and, and keep saying, oh, I'm just gonna wait for the retrace. I'm gonna wait for the retrace because it may never retrace back to your level. And when that happens, I don't want any of you guys left behind. I want everyone to have their bags packed with RSR. And you know, we're going to the moon, right? So just that's just a word of warning. Um, you know, trade to enjoy it. Don't, don't trade to be greedy, I think is what I'm trying to say. And that that that's a great word, and and he's definitely got the credentials to back it up as a space scientist. That you should get into the uh, the rocket ship before it takes off. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the second half of our podcast, first a word from our sponsor, Recursive. If you would like to sync data between applications, Recursive can seamlessly connect any apps, giving your data more value. Your company and your customers can benefit from you having important information in the right place at the right time. Visit recursive.com. R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com. And don't forget to mention this podcast for 20% off your subscription. 
Also, our second sponsor, Joe and Kit. If you're an entrepreneur or small business looking to outsource your bookkeeping or need help understanding your financial situation, we've got just a solution for you. Visit joeandkit.com, J-O-E-A-N-D-K-I-T.com today. Okay, back to the podcast. And for the meat and potatoes of this thing and, and why I've got you on here, uh, NFTs, or, or as they're called, I believe it's non-fungible tokens. Is it fungible or fung fungible? Uh, non-fungible <laughs> fungible is the way I, yeah, fungible, yeah. I guess depending on where you are in the world, how you would pronounce it. Uh, if you don't mind giving the listeners out there and, and myself a, a brief description as to what NFTs are, I, I know them as, as just digital artwork, but, but obviously it'd be nice to hear uh, some perspective uh, for a lot of us out there who don't really know what they are. Um, yeah, so non-fungible tokens, otherwise known as NFTs. Um, well, actually, it's pretty easy to talk about a fungible token first, uh, and that makes a non-fungible token seem a little bit more obvious. So a fungible token is basically, um, you know, something like the US dollar or Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's, a t- it's something of value where there's multiple versions of it, and they're all the same. So, for example, if I wanted to make 25 Bitcoin, I can make it out of 25 one bitcoins right if if i then gave you five bitcoin and then someone else gave me five bitcoin i would still have 25 bitcoin even though they are different ones so yes there are a whole bunch of tokens but they're all the same and you can you know you can build them up you can add them you can subtract them and it's always going to be the same a non-fungible token is the same it is similar it's you know it's a token it's a tokenized asset but each token is different each token is unique so if I had, let's say, five, five NFTs and they have a value of, let's say, $100 and I give you a couple of them and then someone else gives me a couple, they, they will be different and they may, not have, the, they may, they may have $100 in value, but because um, each individual token is unique, basically. I guess that's kind of the best way of describing from a very basic level. Um, from a practical level, you're absolutely right. Digital artwork generally speaking, is um, is the main use of non-fungible tokens. But there's all sorts of things you can do with them. There, I'm seeing a lot now about uh, kind of like, how would I describe it? Like mini packs. So you buy a non-fungible token and then you, you use it in some way, you open it. And then within that non-fungible token is other stuff. So you could have a basket of cryptocurrencies or you could have, you know, some sort of password that takes you through to another link or you know, so you can actually build layers within your within your tokens, uh, which is kind of a cool concept. So really, I think a non-fungible token is just some sort of digital asset built on the blockchain technology, I guess, in short. Okay, uh, so so let me try to break this down for, for myself mostly, but for probably a lot of people <laughs> listening to this podcast. So let me see. So let's say a fungible token is something like if I was to take a, a nickel, um, so uh-huh. let's say a nickel or a dime. Uh, if, if I give you a dime and somebody else gives me a dime, I really can't tell which dimes came from where and they all look the exact same. Whereas a non-fungible token would be something like, a, I don't know, like an autographed game-worn Michael Jordan jersey or something like that. That's kind of a, a one of one, uh, if you will. And each one is obviously going to be different because he's only ever worn, let's say, one jersey for each game. So even if we both had the exact same thing, so let's say I had a game-worn autographed Michael Jordan jersey, uh, it was probably from a different game than the one that you you have. Um, so so it can't really ever be replicated again. Uh, where, exactly. I struggle, where I struggle to understand that is 
how do you build something like that on a blockchain to make sure that it can't be replicated and that it is unique? And so, and so, okay, uh, before, before you answer this question, I guess this is sort of the, the difference between blockchain technology and what we've currently got in the real world. So uh, a current asset that's absolutely um, skyrocketing in value is something, let's say, Pokemon cards uh, or, or sports cards, trading cards of any type that, that um, have been around for a while, but they're blowing up now because uh, just like the concept of Bitcoin, they're scarce, finite assets or what we deem to be finite assets. Uh, there's a first edition Charizard from the very first uh, edition of Pokemon cards ever created. And those are going online for hundreds of thousands of dollars um, with the concept that nobody can ever replicate that again. But I'm not 100% sure about that because I feel like somebody can just print that exact same replica card and you'll never be able to tell the difference. Um, how is somebody not able to do that in terms of NFTs on a blockchain? Yeah, so I'm not going to go into the technical, um, the, the super technical side of it, mainly because that's also not really my expertise. Um, but as far as I'm aware, it's basically has, it has its own digital kind of fingerprint, I guess, if you will. And it's that that gets registered onto the blockchain. So it's the, I guess the best way of looking at this is if you get a piece of artwork and then you get the certificate of authentication, that certificate, uh, so the artwork itself is, is useless without the authentication. Well, it's not useless, but it's in, it hasn't got the value unless it has that authentic authentication. So funnily enough, you can actually change the artwork that's on an NFT. That can be changed. But what you can't change is that digital footprint of it. And that's what's stored on the blockchain. So for example, with one of the reserve dollar NFTs, we can actually update the artwork anytime we want. <laughs> um, but it still has its value attached to its block on the blockchain, right? Um, and actually, we did do this recently with the $10 notes, where we upgraded them from that kind of goldy, well, what we thought was gold, <laughs> which people viewed as like a brown. So we updated that and we made them all black and white. And uh, we were able to go back and basically update all of that artwork. So um, yeah, think, think of the blockchain part as the authentication. Yeah, I get that. That one hundred percent makes sense to me. So you've got basically a scarce, finite asset that you know will never be replicated again. Um, in terms of the reserve dollar uh, that you created, the reserve dollar project. How did you come up with the idea? And do you mind kind of walking us through the timeline of when you first started to uh, where it is now, and and what that process was like to actually create these NFTs? Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting. Um, exercise uh i've never <laughs> i mean i've never done anything like this before so it was, it was pretty fun um you might even be able to help me with the dates here we this actually all stemmed from conversations in the discord channel where people in the community were, were basically saying how they would love to have a have a reserve community token um and we kind of had a little bit of a chat back and forth as a you know as a as an idea within the within the channel and um so I kind of went away and thought about it further and did consider actually just creating some sort of reserve community token. But I kind of quite quickly realized like, well, what, what's the point? What's the point in having, you know, let's say we have RSR and then we have RSRC, which stands for RSR community or something. But, but why? What's the point in having a token that literally does nothing? Um, who would buy that and why would they buy it? So then I started looking into NFTs and I thought, well, you know, it might be, it might be fun to go down that route because we can, you know, you can, 
you can have themes, you can update them, you can do seasons, you can keep it changing and just, you know, just inject a little bit of fun into the project. So first of all, um, you know, you, you would have seen a whole bunch of different artwork ideas that kind of <laughs> got thrown around in the beginning. Uh, you know, a lot of it designed by me, which was, we've, we've, which wasn't as a good idea. I'm not really an artist. So, um, <laughs> so, so, and then, you know, then uh, someone came, you know, one of our, one of the guys in our group came on board and he, he kind of suggested, well, look like, you know, why don't we make these kind of cool futuristic looking like dollar notes? And yeah, it's like, great. That, that sounds awesome. You know, we can divide them into different, uh, into different amounts and, you know, people can buy higher value ones and that sort of thing. So it kind of started developing, developing from there, just from a sort of chat in our community. And then, um, so then it started, yeah, it just started rolling. So I found a way of basically creating these NFTs and we made a, you know, we made a few, we minted a few. So the way it works is, yeah, we have to mint each one individually. Um, so for those who are kind of wondering why the price and the price is quite steep for the reserve dollar NFTs. And that's because each one is minted individually and that costs money gas and everyone who's in, in blockchain right now and crypto right now knows what a pain the gas fees are. So we started minting a few and we put them out to the, <laughs> to, to our community. And yeah, I think people were, people were kind of enjoying it, having some fun, but there was, there was still nothing really like, you know, there was still like the, but why question. Um, so then we thought, well, look, why don't we, you know, this is a community token. Um, why don't we use it as an opportunity to give back to the community? So when I started researching it, I saw that there's no one that does, you know, RSR staking or, airdrops or you know there's no way of earning rsr you have to buy it so i thought well look why don't we you know why don't we create kind of some sort of like raffle system where you know if you if you own some of these rsd reserve dollars you can you know you get entered into a weekly prize draw or you know whatever you know whatever the reserve i run it there is you know our rsd reserve can afford well let's do a weekly or a bi-weekly airdrop and we'll just chuck one of our you know one of our token holders some RSR just you know re remember the value is in the NFT but you know why not just have a little chair on top which allows people to earn some RSR so that was kind of yeah that's kind of how it that's kind of how the idea started um so at the moment we're in season one and this is very much a kind of experimental phase I would, I would call it uh we're definitely learning what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, we're really grateful for all the guys who are bought in now. It's, you know, it's without the community, this project definitely won't exist. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and yeah, so, so we did it. Uh, so now they're available. We've got a website, we've got Twitter, you know, you can see most information on our discord channel. Um, and we're basically, they're all available on the OpenSea.io website, which is, I think it's like the world's biggest, NFT uh, storefront. So you can buy, sell, trade, view, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff on OpenSea. So if you are interested in Reserve Dollar, uh, maybe check us out on Twitter or our, or our website, which is just reservedollar.com. Um, and yeah, that, that's, sorry, I know I'm going on about it, about it now. So I'm gonna let you ask me some more questions about it before I keep rambling. No, no, no. That's that. That's fantastic. Um, I was going to actually suggest to to let people know where we can uh, find more information about it, as well as purchase some. Uh, but you, but you did so eloquently there at the very end. In terms of the work involved to create it, and you said uh, it, it essentially involves minting it onto the blockchain. Um, what does that really look like? So, are you like 
I'm trying to visualize what it what it looks like. Is there is there a program that you go through to to then write the code to to create this thing that then gets sent to a certain uh, I don't know address, if you will, uh, to get minted onto the blockchain? Or like, what does that really look like? Um, you you can do it that way. That's not how we're doing it. So there are so OpenSea actually they provide they provide a service where you can make your own NFTs. So we're essentially using like a, just the, the interface that they provide. Okay, I see. So then is, you would, you so would just, right. So then you would just then put in the, the artwork or whatever, and then just click through. So it's a very user-friendly, not knowing or not needing to know how to do the backend coding uh, to create NFTs. Exactly. So our first, you know, so our first run, uh, you know, season one, which we're in at the moment, um, the idea is just to basically get the concept out there. So it's a super fast, super quick, easy way of doing it. As we go forward, we'll, We'll develop it further and, and yes of course so that's just for your very most basic nft that's basically just upload a picture and then yeah. mint it <laughs> um and then you know obviously you can get way more creative and you can do super cool stuff with it but then absolutely as you said previously that requires a lot more code and kind of back-end work so that's kind of looking forward to season two of the rsd you know that's the sort of thing we'll be kind of aiming for at that point um, in terms of NFTs before this, did you have much experience or did you own some or, or even kind of do a deep dive into, uh, into learning about them before this? And I know from a personal standpoint, it's kind of weird. In the, in the first bull run back in 2017, things got so out of control that uh, I believe the first widely known, uh, I may be wrong in this, the first widely known project of NFTs was was this NFT called CryptoKitties. Um, I think they're still <laughs> around. I don't know if you've heard of them before, but essentially you just buy little kitties that, that look like Tamagotchi characters, if you will, or cartoon characters that just have all these different uh, different colors and some have stripes and some look like they haven't showered in, in four years and some look like they're super well kept and, um, and there would be different seasons of it and then you would buy them and you could breed them. But obviously every time you breed, it just becomes another generation. Um, so, so the ones that were kind of first generation, second generation, and, and the ones higher to, to the very top were obviously more valuable than, uh, than the lower ones. But I think that is actually still going on right now. I've got, I think I've got four crypto kitties somewhere on a, uh, <laughs> in a wallet somewhere in an old laptop that I still own. Um, I'll have to dig those out pretty soon, uh, for this next <laughs> bull run and to see if they're still alive. Cause I haven't fed them in a while. Um, but uh, did you have any experience with, with NFTs before this? Uh, actually, no. So um, it was really when I started digging into this community token, that's, that, was my, that was when I started, you know, actually learning about NFTs really in any great detail. Um, but I really like the idea of gamifying the, the NFT experience. And I think that's definitely the way that the NFT industry is heading. And especially now, if you go on Twitter, um, you know, crypto Twitter, you're, you're going to see a lot of people talking about NFTs. And there's a lot, you know, we've just had, you know, we have these bubbles in crypto all the time. And, you know, we just had the, the food DeFi bubble and everyone went crazy for sushi and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of talk now that the NFT bubble is kind of, is starting to brew. Um, and that might be one that comes up soon. I don't know when, I don't know if, but that's what I'm hearing from people. So it's kind of a cool, I must admit now that I'm kind of exposed to it and thrown in the defense it's really it's a really fun interesting concept so yeah i'm gonna definitely keep digging into it it's definitely really cool especially when you can do things like digital artwork and even i mean in the course of history we've got 
real artwork uh, around the world from really popular, really famous artists that are really expensive um, for the simple fact that they're, they're kind of rare, they're one of one. Uh, but then you've also got a lot of people trying to duplicate them and, and creating fakes out of them to sell them on, on, on different markets and trying to scam people essentially. Um, and I think if there's some way to even find, find some way to, to vis visibly showcase these things in the future, uh, I think there's a lot of, or even find some way to put art in the real world onto a blockchain through some sort of mechanism like Chainlink or something like that. I think there's definitely a lot of value going forward with NFTs and the ability to create uh, unique, I guess, unique identifiers or different serial numbers um, that can then go onto a blockchain to verify that these are in fact one of one. And this is in fact, what you're looking at is real. So, so I think this is definitely just the beginning. Uh, it's a dabble and people are obviously playing around with it in different ways, as I mentioned before, something like digital kitties um, uh, <laughs> online. Uh, and, and, there's, and I'm very excited to see where this space is going to go in the future and, and the different types of creativity and things that people come up with, especially because it is so open source. The whole technology is very open source uh, that it doesn't require people to know how to necessarily paint something or draw something in order to participate in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really cool. Um, before we move on, do you want to let everybody know uh, if they're looking to purchase or looking to find out more information or even ask questions uh, where they can go to find this? Yeah, well, I guess I should give a, a quick kind of, we do get a lot of questions about Reserve Dollar um, in, the, in the channel. So I think it's probably worth me giving a quick sort of overview, I suppose. We haven't really actually done that yet. So Reserve Dollar, is, as, as we've been discussing, is an NFT. It's a non-fungible token. And they are digital art pieces, collectible items, all dedicated to reserve. So we've done three iterations for this season one, and they are all futuristic banknotes. One of them is a $1 banknote, one of them is a $5 banknote, and one of them is a $10 banknote. And each of these banknotes have a unique serial number on them. So if you buy, for every $1 you own, you get entered into a an airdrop, you, you have an entry into an airdrop. So if you own a $1 RSD, you get one entry into every airdrop. If you own $10 of RSD, you get 10 entries into every airdrop. What is an airdrop? And it's a so an airdrop is when we will do a random number generator, we'll choose a random serial number, and we will just send them to the wallet that holds that NFT, or to, to the wallet that holds the RSD. We just send them some free RSR. That's it, it's super simple. So I think this is, first and foremost, it's fun, but what you are buying is a, you know, is a digitally scarce collectible reserve protocol item. And that, you know, you never know in years time if reserve has, you know, dominated the world and everyone's spending money in RSV, it might be cool to have one of these, you know, kind of first edition collectible items. The other thing is that we are going to have a maximum supply of 999 of these, like as in there's hardly any of them. When you look at, well, let's say reserve. What is what's the what's the total mark? Uh, the total supply of RS, RSR, um, a hundred billion, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we're only going to do nine hundred ninety-nine of these. So that there are going to be very few of them. And when season one ends, at the moment that's kind of open-ended. But when season one ends, we will stop minting these. So nine hundred ninety-nine is the upper limit. You know, maybe we'll only mint hundred of these. Maybe we'll only mint fifty of them. Um, so they are going to be rare and you know if you if you're into rsr then yeah these are a bit of fun and you never know if we you know if we get loads of adoption from the community 
then these airdrops are going to get pretty big. You know, we pledged that after our first 500 holders, we're going to try and do a 500,000 RSR airdrop. Um, after we get our first 100 holders, we want to do 100,000 RSR airdrops. So it is definitely an opportunity as well for, for, you know, perhaps people who, you know, RSR is getting quite expensive these days. I know it's all relative, but, you know, to buy 500 RSR is about $10,000 right now. You know, not everyone has enough capital to, you know, or, or the opportunity to buy that amount of RSR. So we're kind of, yeah, we're just trying to get the community together, have some fun, pull it up and see if we can, you know, get some happy rangers out there. And where do people go to buy this and, and ask questions? Okay, good question. So there's, uh, there's two places you can buy it. That, well, there's one place at the moment that's on the OpenSea Reserve Dollar storefront. So if you open up the OpenSea website and type in Reserve Dollar, that'll bring you to our storefront and you can buy them directly there. You basically link your MetaMask wallet or your Coinbase wallet and you buy it as you would any other uh, cryptocurrency. Soon I've been talking with the Reserve store, so um, Fuzzy Snoots. So they're going to be available on his store. So you'll be able to buy them straight there. And then we're toying with the idea on the website with actually making them available just for cash. So you can just buy them like you would buy anything on the internet with cash. And then you basically send your wallet address and we then just directly transfer you the reserve dollar that way. So we're trying to make it super accessible, but anyone you know, who wants to get on it right now, I would say either go to our website, reservedollar.com and follow the links through the OpenSea website or just go directly to OpenSea. You can Perfect. also find us on Twitter, by the way, we're also reserve dollar on Twitter. So reserve dollar is the words <laughs> you need to remember and you should better find us. Yep, for sure. And if you're having any trouble finding it, uh, you can actually take a look at the show notes. I will have the, the link as, as well as the, the Twitter account on there, um, as, well as, uh, as well as James's personal account as Crypto Rick, uh, which, is a, which is a funny segue, I guess, uh, in terms of uh, how did you decide to be Rick from Rick and Morty on your, on your, <laughs> on your Twitter? Is that, is that something that, that a show you, you, you love, I guess? I really enjoy Rick and Morty and, you know, the whole space thing, I think, kind of uh, resonates with me for obvious reasons. So, yes, yes, plus it's fun to say, you know, I've been, I've been shouting I'm crypto, uh, not crypto, Rick. I've been shouting I'm pickle Rick or I'm tiny Rick for, for years now. So <laughs> it kind of, it was the obvious choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny, actually, because uh, my, my cousin who listens to this uh, podcast and I told him that you're coming on today. He goes, can you ask him if this has any, uh, anything to do with Pickle Rick? And, and there you go. There's their, it's uh, everything there's, to do with that. <laughs> there's, there's the reference to it. And that answers the question that I don't need to ask. Um, yeah. One last thing in terms of uh, before we wrap this, this thing up is I wanted to talk about our reserve discord channel. Um, so you have brought it up multiple times throughout this, this podcast so far. It's actually, I think uh, I'm trying to think back and obviously everything is a blur. Uh, Crypto moves a lot faster than than I actually realize, even though it hasn't really been that long of a time frame. Um, but but where I've gotten a, 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 to know you a lot better is through the the, the Discord itself. Um, so maybe if you want to kind of share uh, what you've gotten out of the Discord and and what what benefits that you found from it, as well as how you found the Discord, um, that would be fantastic. I was actually just thinking that I don't know how I mean. I don't know who, I found it on Twitter. Um, there was about 20 of us, I think, in the group then. <laughs> That's, we were so young. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I was in there, you know, really early on. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it was you who posted it. It could have been fuzzy. I'm not. I, I can't. Honestly, I can't remember where. But I, I followed a link from, from Twitter. I'd recently just um, the re the reason why I decided to go for it was because I'd actually been, um, I downloaded uh, Discord to get the over the counter Haber HTR sale. <laughs> so I, I, the only reason why I'd actually downloaded Discord was to was to try and get these over the counter uh, tokens, which, which ironically, which I never did in the end. Um, maybe I'll I'll live to regret that possibly. Um, so then when I got the yeah, I got the invite or you know someone posted about joining the the reserve discord i was like oh great you know I'll, I'll click on that i'll join that one um but actually i must admit the it i haven't turned back i mean i don't i used to use telegram um always and i don't use it at all anymore i just use i just use the discord group it's so organized it's such a great community in there there's a lot of really thoughtful discussion you know we've got yeah there's there's chart analysis and there's big picture discussions you know well yeah you know it's um, it's just a really good community. Yeah, and and we're very happy to have people like you on there uh, that provide a lot of advice, as we talked about earlier, in terms of technical analysis, and even uh, people on there discussing ideas like like a like a reserve dollar um, NFT project and like reserve tokens for the community, and even hard tokens that people wanted to buy as. Um, as just little mementos for um, for being part of the community. So it's really cool to have people like you who uh, aren't just on there talking about price all day. Obviously, as we've kind of in, increased in members, we are going to have a lot of those people, and we do have a lot of those people right now who just ask when it's going to moon and when it's going to <laughs> um, to rocket in price, and is it too late for me to buy more tokens? Uh, we're, we are going to have that as the numbers go up, but I, I do really like the uh, the, the setup of Discord uh, in terms of being able to categorize different channels so that you are able to to go into a specific channel and, and just know what you're reading and, and know that this one relates to, to price talk and this one relates to kind of uh, pricing signals and, and technical analysis and this one is just for big picture and this is for the reserve dollar and this is the store. Um, so it's been really cool and, and for those of you guys listening out there who uh, and you're listening because you are a fan of, of reserve. Uh, and you're not on the Discord already, uh, please look at the show notes. Um, there is a, a link on there or go to myself or uh, James's uh, uh, Instagram. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere or not Instagram, uh, Twitter. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. Um, but but the Discord is free. So obviously we'd love to have more members on there. And the more, the more members, the more merrier it is just to be able to be with a group of people um, and, and to discuss something that we're all super passionate about and have a financial incentive in. Um, as, as this thing continues to grow over the next year or so. Um, so, so with that, as we, as we kind of end the podcast, uh, and this is a perfect segue for it, uh, I'm going to ask you three questions. And the first question I've got is your price prediction for RSR. So uh, if I could get your price <laughs> prediction um, for one that, that could be kind of relatively simple, uh, one I asked for end of the year this year, so December 31st, 2020, and we're currently recording on December 3rd, 2020. So there's only about 28 days left. Um, as well as your price prediction for December 31st, 2021. Ooh, specific dates. Um, or even if you want okay. to, to kind of freestyle a bit, because you had talked no, about no, next year potentially becoming a, a bull run and, and whatnot. If you want to if you want to give your little prediction in terms of timeline, that would be fantastic as well. Yeah, so I've mentioned this before. I'm, I know that it's, <laughs> it's come to light today that certain people disagree with me on this, but 
so before the end of this year, so we've got about a month, I think that we're going to see all-time high again. I think it's going to go above the all-time high. I'm looking for somewhere, I'm, well, I'm expecting somewhere between maybe four and five cents. Maybe that's a bit optimistic, perhaps. I certainly think we'll see all-time high again, though, before the end of the year. Um, and then I think we'll see a retracement, um, maybe around mid-December you know, Chinese New Year and stuff like that. And, you know, things, people, people take money out of their investments over the, over the holidays. So I think there'll be a, there'll be a retracement then. I think we'll see that across the board, perhaps led by Bitcoin. Bitcoin's, it's looking good. Um, it might go, it might go higher, but I think we'll see some retrace. So let's say <laughs> I'll go, I'll go behold with four cents before the end of the year. And then, and then next year, I think it's going to be insane. Uh, <laughs> so I posted this on Twitter a while ago, you know, people say $1. Um, I say, I also say $1. I think it's going to hit $1. And, um, I mean, people ask how, so I think that you can compare reserve in this bull run to what, what XRP did in the last bull run. And they hit, oh, I can't remember it was on my Twitter, but basically I think a $10 billion valuation for reserve is is possible. <laughs> I hope you don't think I'm crazy. Um, I think a 10 billion market cap for reserve is possible, which would push reserve up to about a dollar, maybe dollar fifty before the end of next year. Maybe, maybe that's insane. Um, but that, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> no, I mean these are these are all definitely. There isn't really a prediction that that I would necessarily say is insane uh, because obviously we're still in a, in a market that's really, really young, even though we've had a bull run in 2017. Uh, and even though Bitcoin was started in, I think 2012, um, we're still fairly new in this, in this game. And we haven't had enough cycles to really figure out um, where the, where the peaks and the, and, 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 and the, and the bottoms are for this. So, so I, I definitely think anything is possible, especially with newer coins in it now, um, something like a reserve. Um, and obviously I think a lot, a lot of that is there's, there's going to be a different combination of one, you're going to have just crypto bull run itself and, and just the price speculation that will come with that, that will Im improve the price. But a second one that we obviously don't know in terms of the, the timeline for is, is mass adoption in these um, places that they're currently in. Um, and again, as we were talking about before, if they do have mass adoption in these places, it doesn't necessarily matter what, what the price currently is now or what the trend of the market is. Uh, just because of the mechanism and the decentralization of how uh, Reserve is trying to stabilize their RSV, it really doesn't matter uh, as long as they can get mass adoption in these countries. And if you can get mass adoption because of the arbitrage mechanism, there is an opportunity for the price to skyrocket. Um, at that point, if you combine that with some type of crypto bull run, it could even seem that a dollar is a very conservative estimate on the, on the optimistic side of things. So, so I definitely don't think yeah. you're crazy for, for predicting something like that. Um, uh, in terms Honestly, of- Honestly though, I, I hope that they don't coincide i hope we have a crypto bull run and then we have the rsr bull run because you know like you just touched on there rsr doesn't need a bull run excuse me my airport fell out my ear rsr doesn't need a rsr doesn't need a bull run it's gonna it's it's gonna pump it's gonna you know it, i mean I, I again i made a tweet about this recently about what's what's to come you know there's mainnet there's coinbase there's paypal there's you know there's rolling out the product there's rolling out to different countries you know the the timeline 
for reserve is is awesome. Uh, so you know, bull run or not, RSI is gonna you know to quote crypto is gonna moon. So it, it'd almost be a shame if they coincided because one might stifle the other. I'd, I'd like to see it happen twice. Why not have two bull runs for RSI? Yeah, for sure. That does make sense. If you combine the two of them together, you're more likely not to have as big of an increase as if they were separated. Um, in terms of uh, a potential selling strategy, do you have one in mind? Um, <laughs> um, take profits as we go up and rebuy is my strategy. Um, no, I, I want to, I'm, I'm not really going to sell anything um, until it leads until it leads to dollar, but I would like to put some perspective into this conversation actually whilst I have the, whilst I have the chance. If we hit 10 cents next year, be happy. That, that, that's a really awesome price point to hit. I think a lot of us talk about dollars, 56, 68. You know, we talk about these insane numbers. You know, sometimes I say $3. Um, don't, don't think that's just, you know, if it, be happy, be happy as it grows, right? And this is, I think, an important point. So you, you're asking about my, my exit strategy. Well, you know, when we hit 10 cents, well, this is what I'm talking about earlier with support and resistance levels. It hits levels. So don't forget to take profits. When it does a moon and it hits a new all-time high, take a bit of profit. There's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of profit. You put, you put this in as, as an investment. Take some profit. If it goes down again, when it goes down again, it always goes down a little bit at least. Just buy a little bit more. Then you have a little bit more than you used to have. I'm not saying go crazy, sell all your bag. Sell a little small portion of it. And if you're wrong, like I said before, Put a stop loss. It's okay. Like it's fine. So I think it is important to take profit as we as we go up. Um, you know, these we talk about bull cycles, bear cycles all the time. This is just part and parcel of crypto. It'd be a shame to miss opportunities along the way. Just be responsible with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. And that is a, a fairly great point that that needs to be mentioned a lot more. Is that if it does hit ten cents at any point next year. Um, be happy with that because that's essentially a Absolutely. five times that's a five times multiple of where we're currently at and it's very it's, rare to exactly. find any type of investment out there currently before crypto that would do 5x in in one year or less it's just the being in crypto has definitely skewed our perception of 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 the returns that that are reasonable um, and, yeah. and people are often disappointed by something like even doubling your money is, is now disappointing in, in, in the crypto world, which is, which is a kind of a scary thing. You want to make a million off a thousand, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a very great point to, um, to make. Uh, just a couple more questions before I let you go here, because I know it's very late. We're, we're recording. It's 830, uh, Eastern, or 8.30 Pacific time right now at night. So it's about 12.30 your time in the morning. Um, so I really appreciate uh, you yeah, taking this yeah. time. A uh, couple, a couple quicker, quick questions. Uh, one, I don't know if this question will be relevant, considering you said that um, you don't read since anything can be googled in five minutes. Uh, what is the best book you've ever read? All right, I do have an answer for this one. Uh, I have two answers for this one. One of them, I'm very into fantasy, so obviously Game of Thrones is amazing. But the guy won't finish the books, so I'm not going to give you that as my answer. Uh, one I read recently is called the Farseer series written by Robin Hobb and it's like a cool kind of fantasy Game of Thrones-esque kind of book. <laughs> I know that's not particularly relevant or interesting to our listeners. So keeping it on a finance uh, note, by far the best book I've read is called Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. He's, uh, you may have heard of him. He's a, he's like a, yep, the big short. Kind, kind of like a, yeah, right. Yeah. He's like a financial journalist. He wrote the big short. He wrote Moneyball. But for me, Liar's Poker is just, 
the bomb. So he, it's, uh, it's about himself, actually, when he was a, he was a sales guy on Wall Street um, and he wants to you know, get into the trading game. And it's, so for a book, which should be so boring, it is so interesting. So it's really all about bonds and all the kind of boring financial products. Um, but the way it's written is just fantastic. And it's all about his life and it's super interesting, super fun. Um, and just really great stories about his time on Wall Street before the big Salomon brothers kind of incident back in the, uh, back in the financial crisis. So I would, I would rec- that is the one book I actually recommend to anyone who wants like a financial read. Excellent. And uh, to cap things off, the best piece of advice you've ever been given. <laughs> yeah, this is a hard one. <laughs> I usually ignore all of it. Um, so uh, best advice. Okay, well, I can give you, well, I can give you a crypto one, but I'll give you a life one that I ever, the, the best, I, I guess, maybe not the best, but one that comes to mind is one I heard a long, long time ago when I was really young was, um, if you want to be successful, just become the best in the world at something or, you know, as close to. So, you know, become the best at something and you'll always be successful. I think that was, that's resonated with me kind of through my life. It's always, you know, um, and it can be anything, right? But if you're the best at it, then you'll always have value. So I think that was a cool piece of advice. Um, but for our listeners in crypto and you know people who people who just you know who want to trade, let's put it that way, um, never leverage. <laughs> always use risk management. Capital preservation is your number one priority. Just don't get greedy. Just preserve that capital. It's the only way. Um, and that was advice given to me when I started doing this trading stuff. And I haven't always listened to it and I've been burnt <laughs> and anyone in this trading, you know, in crypto will know about being burnt, especially when you leverage trades. So my advice is just, just don't do it. Don't get greedy. Just risk management, never risk more than one or 2% of your capital. Um, and that was probably the best advice that I've ever received in crypto. And I can't think of a better way to finish this podcast. So uh, once again, thank you very much, James, uh, for, for being on the podcast and taking time out of your busy, busy, busy schedule. Uh, if you're looking <laughs> thank you very for, much for having me. Yeah, no worries. If you're looking for more information on uh, the Reserve Dollar NFT, go to reservedollar.com or Reserve Dollar on Twitter. And if you want to reach out to James on Twitter, his handle is crypto underscore Rick uh, with a zero instead of an O. Uh, So once again, that's crypto underscore Rick with a zero instead of an O. Uh, Thanks again. And hopefully we can have you on uh, sometime next year when, uh, when, when more happens in the, in the reserve space. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. I hope you're able to get lots of value from this podcast. And as always, if you're interested in reaching out to me, you can contact me on Twitter at my personal account at RSR Ernie or the podcast account at in reserve pod. And if you don't have Twitter, you can shoot me an email at inreservepodcast at gmail.com or feel free to join our RSR Rangers Discord channel uh, in the invite link attached in the show notes below. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you on the next podcast.